0: For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com.
1: Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace. Offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started.
0: Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is July 27th, 2021, and today's guest is co-host of the Headhunters TV, Randy Birdsong. All right, all right. Welcome back to the fall podcast. I am your host Aaron Blasey and today's episode is 171 and today's is a good one. Today's guest is Randy Birdsong, co-host of Headhunters TV on the Outdoor Channel. They've been running, him and Nate have been running Headhunters for the last, I think they're in season 11 now, and uh, they've been doing it at a top-notch level ever since day one. Um, They're very good at what they do. And not only are they good at what they do, they're also really good at whitetail hunting and managing whitetails. So today's podcast is all about a project called the Raven Project. Randy's goal was always to be able to buy a piece of property and be able to make it into what he wanted wanted it to be and form it to have that deer camp aspect and be able to just have great memories, work the ground, manage the deer, and manipulate the deer the way he wants to do it, and he's finally got that opportunity. It's called The Raven Project. It's going to be a digital series, and we get into that today, but we we dive into some cool things as far as food, water, cover, like all, you know, the the low-hanging fruit, but we also dive into access and entry and intrusion and, and a whole bunch of stuff that goes along with it and food plots and what to put in the food plots and all that stuff. This is a really cool podcast. Randy's a super nice dude. Um, I got to meet him quite a few years ago back probably in 2013. Um, and I just watched him from afar being you know part of Headhunters TV and everything. It's just one of those shows that I always watched and really enjoyed. So um, go over and check out the Raven Project at their social channels. Um, I I look at them on Instagram, so go to Instagram and check out the Raven Project and just follow what they're doing. It's really cool. So uh, I guess with that being said, I'm going to jump over to this interview with Randy and, and get right into it because it is a good one. All right, welcome back to the fall podcast. And today's guest is a familiar face. If you are familiar with outdoor television, it is uh co host of Headhunters TV, Randy Birdsong. Randy, thanks for coming on, man.
1: Hey man, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, you and Nate have been doing headhunters for probably a better of ten years now, haven't you?
1: Man, we are currently airing our eleventh season, believe it or not. It's a it's been a ride.
0: It has dude. And you, you guys have been doing headhunters at a high level ever since the word jump. Like you guys, I loved your show from the get. Like I still love it. Watch it. It's crazy. I love you guys' excitement and all the freaking big animals you kill. I love it, man.
1: (laughs) I really appreciate it, man. We got, you know, we got going. It's, I've always kind of, uh, had the mindset, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to come out of the gate, man, you got to come out of the gate swinging. So I definitely wanted to, you know have our always wanted to have our production at a at a high level and you know I, i've always kind of been into that side of things as far as you know the production side and just really you know managing that side of it and i don't do the editing ourselves. we've got a couple way more talented guys <laughs> that that, so. yeah but but i i do enjoy i do enjoy you know being a part of it and you know watching over it managing it and uh just kind of seeing it all come you know from field to fruition to what you see on tv it's a cool process
0: for sure man so like in just in quick like what do you got for this season i know you guys are running q3 and four is that what you're doing
1: yeah we do well we do all four quarters but we do our new episodes in in q3 so right now you're getting all the new stuff all the new shows coming down the pipe from what we filmed this past fall okay
0: what 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 days are your anchor spots like when are you guys airing
1: yeah, so we do Thursday evenings is our anchor, and uh, that's at eight thirty Eastern. Okay, and then we also do, I, I believe it's like ten Eastern on Saturdays, and then we've got three other airings throughout. They're the week, weird, are, <laughs> yeah, They're weird, man. Yeah, those are a couple. Th- those are the two main airings.
0: Yep, I forget all about like <laughs> our other two or three airings because the anchor is the only one I really worry about, and it's yeah, like exactly. ones at like three o'clock in the morning on like a Thursday, and it's like. Uh, I just don't know who's yeah. up watching it then.
1: <laughs> no doubt.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. You guys are doing that stuff, and you guys have been doing it at a high level, like I said, for a long time. But today's podcast, I want to get into something different you're doing, something new, and it's the Raven Project, man. I Yeah, man. I, I I cannot wait to keep, to pick your brain about this because ever since I seen it come across Instagram and social media, I'm like, what the hell is this? I got to know more. <laughs> so
1: yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool project. I'm super excited about it. It's a, uh, honestly, man, it's like a passion of mine that, that I've had, you know, forever. And finally, finally kind of getting to bring it to life. You know, it took, it took a long time and, and being in the industry and, and working and kind of, you know working towards a goal of of hopefully one day having our own piece of hunting property that's always kind of been the that's always kind of been the end game for me I mean that's that was the ultimate goal is is at some point to have our own piece of property Uh, wasn't sure where where it was going to be at or anything else but just our own piece of property that we can manage and you know if if you know anything about my background that's that's kind of where my passion has always been is, is managing whitetails, um, you know, all over the Midwest. And I always kind of had that goal, you know, one day, man, I mean, it's cool, managing them for somebody else and, you know, your leases and different stuff like that. But there's nothing like having your own piece of dirt. And this past spring, we finally got that that opportunity here and actually put together a piece of ground that's within, you know, about 20 minutes of where I live at here in Missouri. So it's kind of right in the back door, which is cool, too. But uh, put together a piece of property here, and, and it, was a, it was a complete raw piece of ground, man. And whenever I say raw piece of ground, you know, <clears throat> a lot of pieces of property out there that you have, it's, it's got, it's, it's had some kind of, you know, improvements done to it or, right. you know, food plots or clearings or ponds or, you know, w- whatever it might be. Whenever I say this piece was a complete raw piece of ground, like it was literally 100% hardwood timber.
0: No kidding
1: <laughs> so it had it had nothing it had nothing done to it yet and whenever whenever I first you know when we first got a chance at it I honestly wasn't even sure how excited or or how much interest I had in the particular piece because of how raw it was and then I got to really thinking and diving into it and I said you know what like this is literally a raw blank slate you know when you think sure. about it I mean you know it if, if you've got a piece of ground that's already had clearings done or it's already had this or that done to it, you can't go back and, and, and redo those things. Those things are there. Right. Whereas, you know, this piece of ground, literally a blank slate that you could carve out and do whatever you wanted to to it. So whenever I really got to thinking about it in that aspect, I was like, man, this is exciting. Like this is, this could be, this could be super cool. And, and at the time I didn't have, I didn't have the idea of the Raven project and we had you know we kind of kicked around for a couple years about doing something digitally doing a digital project and you know those those projects are gaining popularity every day but I wanted to make sure that we had kind of the right format the right idea and and uh, just a, a good concept you know before we before we launched something on that side of things and after we closed on the Raven I got to really thinking I was like you know hey Dude, this could work. I mean, this is yeah. this is this is right up a whitetail hunter's alley as far as, you know, starting with a blank slate here and really, you know, showing the audience and we, you know, with the ability of of us having producers and stuff around all the time, I mean, we're documenting every single process that we're doing to this piece of property to make it hopefully what will be the best whitetail property in, you know, our part of the state. For so, sure. And the cool thing is, man, is it's going to be very relatable to the, to the average hunter because we, although we're in Missouri, we're in the very Southern part of Missouri. So we're not in, we're not in Northern Missouri where it's known for giant deer. I mean, we're, we're very average when it comes to uh, quality of deer here in the state. So um, that being said, I mean, we, you know, we have the chance to grow some, nice deer here and there but we're not known for killing you know and growing booners around every corner here so it's it's going to be it's going to be very cool to be able to see what we can do with this property in this part of the state and it's going to be very relatable too to the you know to the average to the average guy and that's and and at the end of the day man like that's what we want to be known for is you know we're we're not we're not claiming to be professional hunters by any means i mean we want people to to learn from you know from our successes and and also learn from what will be plenty of failures i'm sure
0: agreed you know relatability is is key like being able to like take this podcast for instance like you know i've been working for chris and casey for 10 years now and being their producer and their main tv guy and like so i I have the tv side but it's like I have two pieces of ground in Michigan here that are very like, you know, one's a one acre farm, you know, well, it's mm-hmm. a, it's an 80 acre farm, but it's all ag around it. I got a one acre piece of timber in it that I've, you know, for the last six years have tried to do as much timber stain improvement on it and make it for a, a, a buck haven in the rut, mm-hmm. man, you're going to get, I get bucks in there that you shouldn't probably be getting in Michigan, you know, just cruising through right. there in the rut. And like that's relatability, like, Every guy can relate to that. If you can get the right piece of one or two acres or five acres, 10 acres, whatever it had be, you do it the right way, it can be
1: a success. Oh, yeah, 100%, man. That's And that's the thing is like, you know, everybody thinks that you've got to have 2,000 acres to be able to do anything. And honestly, man, it, it, when it, what it comes down to a lot is how much effort you're willing to put into something For sure. because you can take you can take just like that and, and you know you made a great point there but you can take a very very small minute piece of ground and if you if you put the right if you put the right steps and the right processes in there and 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 do it up right there's a lot of stuff that you can do to improve that very small acreage to make it you know very attractive to deer. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's just a matter of, like I said, how much effort you're willing to put into it.
0: Yep. You know, and you, to kind of go back, you guys got a blank slate property and that's huge because not a lot of people can find those anymore. You're not fixing other people's previous ideas. You know what I mean? This is Randy's deal here this is your footprint that is so cool and so powerful you know
1: yeah that's what i said i mean it's so hard man to find those places like that because it's you know almost every property out there has had at least something done to it whether you know it was the right thing the wrong thing whatever but it's had something done to it and this this particular piece of property and and like i said i kind of i kind of viewed it as a as a negative thing at first But then when I really got to thinking about it and and got to thinking about how it was a blank slate, I was like, hey, this is this has got some potential here, you know. And then and then whenever I started thinking about digital projects, I was like, shoot, how much, you know, it don't get much cooler than this to be able to take the audience from, you know, square one all the way through the entire process. Because this will be a multi-year, you know, that's that's the other thing is like it it takes time, man. Oh, yeah. Um, it'll be a multi-year process to get this thing you know kind of where we want it and then it'll be always be kind of a work in progress after that
0: for sure so break it down you said it's big timber how many acres is it like how does it lay out
1: Yep, so it's um it is a lot of it is a lot of it is mature timber that's not been cut in probably 40 years uh the whole south half is that kind of timber and then the north half has probably been cut it's probably probably been cut 15 to 20 years ago so it's still it's still got good big timber but not as not as virgin separate tracks which was kind of crazy that it, it lined up that way to be able to put them both together at the same time yep but uh it's like like I said, it's it, it didn't have any water on it, any water sources at all. So one of the first things that we done was we went in, we we got an excavator bulldozer, we started putting in food plots, and every food plot we put in, we put in a water hole. We put in like just a you know a very very small water hole, but we wanted to we wanted to be able to scatter you know water sources throughout that entire property. Nice. So that was that was one of the that was one of the first things because <clears throat> you know at the end of the day, man, you gotta have you gotta have water to hold. The whole wildlife and it doesn't matter you know those those ponds are good for deer they're good for turkeys I mean every every piece of wildlife out there will utilize those ponds definitely you kind of broke up there did you did you say how many acres it was uh no i didn't we we bought it in two <clears throat> two separate pieces it's total it's about 900 acres
0: okay okay so it's a good track but uh you know, with having mature timber on it like that, that gives you so much flexibility, I feel like, too, because you can, A, you can either come in and, and clear it if you want or select cut it, or there's a lot of different things you can do. You can come do a hinge cut. You can, you know, a lot of people cringe when you hear hinge cut, but you could do a lot of management stuff with that timber to really manipulate deer and oh, where you, what you want them to do.
1: hundred percent, man. That, and that's kind of the phase that we're on right now, actually, is we, we went in and, and basically, man, on the... <clears throat> Excuse me. on the uh on the upwind side of a lot of these food plots we went in and we done an acre to two acres of hinge cutting and we you know we kind of strategically we looked at the maps we wanted to do them on you know what would be south or east facing slopes yep off of you know 150 yards 200 yards off these food plots because my goal was is i want to get them i, I want to get those bed areas established close enough to those food sources that we can you know we can utilize the daylight activity. They're going to be close enough to get up and and utilize those plots in the daylight, but there's, we're going to still be bedding them just far enough to where we can still access those plots without blowing our deer out.
0: Yeah. So How, how close are you putting those to the plots? Like what
1: is too close in your mind? Man, it, it, a lot of it just depends on kind of the terrain uh, that you're dealing with, but I, I don't like to get them closer than about a hundred yards for okay. sure. Okay. Yep. I think I think 150 yards is kind of the sweet spot in there. Yep. In my opinion, um, and like I said, a lot of that depends on how your how your ground lays. You know how how the roll of your ground is, um, but you know you've got to be able you've got to be able to get in and out of those plots without without being busted. I mean that's a that's the thing is, you know, it's cool to have your deer super close, but you can have them too close as well.
0: For sure. What is, what is your game plan as far as how to hunt these deer? Like, is it kind of sit back from a distance, let them kind of do their thing, do deer things, do big buck things, whatever that might be, hunt them off food or like, I know it's very situational when it comes to that, but like in a perfect world, what is your philosophy in that?
1: Man, for me, I've always been huge on not not diving deep into the timber um until it's absolutely right there's only about a there's only about a three-week window in the entire year that i'll go deep into the timber and you know that's usually from the 25th of october through the 15th or 20th of, of november the outside of that pretty much the way i hunt them is is i'll rely on trail cameras and and just setting sitting back and observing from you know long distances on big plots and stuff until it's until it's right and then kind of try to move in and strike on what I'm seeing. Yep I, I i don't I don't like beating the interior of that timber up, man. Until it's until it's right, I just feel like you do more damage than good. And by the time it gets right, you know you put so much human intrusion on everything that you, you don't get that natural movement that you that you normally would.
0: For sure. You know, and you've hunted all over the country, whitetails, elk, mule deer, you name it. I mean, you've done a lot. Um, and in my philosophy, I hate bumping deer. It doesn't matter what state I'm in. You could be in Iowa it. in the least, you know, populated county. I still do not like to bump
1: deer. <laughs> oh, know? it cringes. It makes me cringe, man. Yeah, it does. So, I, I totally,
0: I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I like to sit from a distance and, and just... If you have the time, sit back and gradually move in if you have to and strategically that, that, just strike.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's and a lot of times that's, you know, a prime example is, you know, one of the deer I shot last year here in Missouri. That's that's exactly what we did on that deer is you know, we had a we had a big four or five acre food plot that was kind of ran long and skinny. It was probably four hundred yards long we started on the very end of that food plot observing, you know, more than anything. And and we got to noticing where this deer was coming out and kind of what he was doing. And we got to noticing that he would, you know, he would eventually work his way all the way down to where we were at, but it was, it would be after camera light before he got there. So what we did is we, you know, we, we seen what he was doing. We got the wind, right. We bumped up about 300 yards, hung a stand and cut him off to where, you know, he obviously then he come by us within, you know, good daylight and, we were able to get a shot at him, but that's, that's kind of my, you know, I, I do that. I do that a lot because I, I feel like if you try to jump too soon, man, more times than not, you, you end up on the wrong side of a deer or, or he does something, you know, completely different and then you end up bumping him. And that might be the only chance you get at that deer. Yeah. So, it's I don't know. In my opinion, it's it's if you got the time, it's way better to to play it safe and play it slow and just inch in on them.
0: Yeah. Now, when you're moving in like that, I know you you've always got a producer with you. You got twice the gear, twice the stands, twice the people. So it's like when you're moving in, are you hanging and hunting right away? Like, are you getting? In I, that I do, night? man. I,
1: I I literally usually I, I don't like to make multiple trips in there. Most of the time, what we'll try to do is we'll drive the buggy or, or the truck right to the tree dump out all the stuff i'll go park the the buggy or the truck and then we'll come back and hang it and and jump right in it because i just feel like that's the that's the least intrusion that you're gonna have i I hate making multiple trips in and out you know you're leaving multiple boot trails um and, and just you know it's just less intrusion that way
0: yep How are you thinking, kind of jumping around here, I I just had a thought about your entry and exit. How are you, when you're breaking down a piece of ground like this and you're really trying to manipulate what, you know, your entry and exit, like how are you picking out stand locations? Is the first thing you're looking at is how the hell am I going to get in or out of here before you put a stand in?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the first thing you got to think about it always is access because if you can't, you know, the thing about it is you you can have the best tree in the whole farm, but if you if if every time you go in and out of there you're bumping deer you know you're just spinning your wheels because you you've got it more times than not it's going to take you more than one time to get a deer killed and you know if you go in the first time and and you bump everything out of there and and all of a sudden now you have no more natural movement because they're moving off of off of your intrusion now then you're just you're just bouncing around playing ping you know ping pong at that point so I, that's, that's a hundred percent, man. Like I'll, you know, I'll look and, and I'll get a general idea of where I need to be at. And then I'll start kind of, you know, micro breaking it down into, into how do I, you know, exactly what tree do I need to get in and what tree can I get in with, with, you know, being able to make the, the least amount of intrusion while doing so. And then, and then I'll get into that spot and then I'll hunt it. And then if I need to, if, once I kind of get in there and see, because the thing about it is too, man, is like you, you, you can only learn so much off of looking at a map. I mean, when you're looking at a map, you're kind of getting the 10,000 foot above scenario. Right. And then, you know, that's a good starting spot, but once you get in there and and you actually seeing with your own two eyes, exactly how things are moving, what, what the deer are doing at that point, you can kind of, you can kind of start fine tuning that game plan and, and you, you know, at that point, what you think you can get by with and what you can't.
0: Yep. Yeah. E-scouting and maps only can get you so far. Like, yeah, it's a
1: good, it's a good starting. Yes. It's a good starting place, you know?
0: Shit. There's, we got, I got a farm here in Michigan. My dad's been hunting it since the seventies. It's in my family. Um, It's 218 acres. I've been hunting it since I was little and I still look at maps all the time because I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just geek oh, yeah. out on it, but you know get you in this area no and
1: i think i think every time you look at them too you learn something different you see something different for sure i don't think they're you know i I think maps i think maps are a huge 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 part of of everything i mean like i said i think that needs to be that should be always your your first you go to no matter what you're doing
0: definitely now what's with this ground that you have do you know that there's already segmented areas that you're like, okay, this is a rut hole, or this is just going to be like October early season? I know a lot of people have that, but are you trying to stay out of certain areas
1: until the right
0: time, you think?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm i pretty strategic on, on um, you know, where we're hunting at early on. I mean, I, I think I try to pick the, the most accessible places, the easiest accessible places early on. Just because that's where you're going to get the, you know, the least amount of intrusion. And I mean, at the end of the day, basically our, you know, whenever I think about it, our end goal is, right, is to get as many quality hunts as we can throughout the year without, you know, without intruding any more than we have to. Because I know that, you know, if we can keep our intrusion down, we're going to get more quality hunts throughout the year than what we would if we try to push the envelope early on start bumping things around early
0: yep definitely
1: and and that's kind of how i I guess that's kind of you know if there's a particular deer you know it's so situational i guess it's not you know i I hate to say that it's just completely one way because i'm not going to say that you know i'm i'm constantly monitoring trail cameras throughout the year and, and i think like i was saying earlier i think that's one of the things probably early on especially that i rely on the most is if i see something consistent and i think i can get in there and get that deer shot you know without making much effort or or intrusion i'm gonna i'm gonna go after him while he's consistent i mean that's at the end of the day man there's there's no there's no better odds in your favor than um been going in and hunting a deer that's consistent at the time because he's not going to stay that way forever. Right. So you, you gotta, you gotta strike on those. You gotta strike on those opportunities like that too, because like I said, that you're going to, a lot of times you're going to have a short window. It might be, it might be three days. It might be seven days, but I can tell you it's not going to be forever. And, uh, you know, when that, when you see a deer, a target, a target buck that you're wanting to try to hunt and he's doing something that, that he shouldn't be doing every day in daylight, you got to take advantage of it. How
0: many times are you, do you have to see that to be like, I got to get in now? Like, is it three times or man?
1: Yeah. I mean, if I, if I see a deer doing the same thing, you know, two or three days in a row, it's, it's time because you know, that window could, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not a cut and dried window that you say, okay, we're going to do that 10 days in a row. I mean, he might, you know, he might go in there and he might not never do it again. But if he, if I see him doing it two or three times and it's, you know, he's in a good spot where I can get in and out the wind's Right. You know, he's, he's, he's in there in the daylight. I'm I'm going in and I'm going to give him, I'm going to give it two or three days because you might go in there on the third day after he's been in there two different days, he might not show that day. That That's just, that's just a, a big deer being a big deer. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, you know, it, it's like I said, it's not, there's not anything cut and dried about, about killing a big mature deer. I mean, it's, you got to be flexible with them because at the end of the day, I mean, they're, they don't always know exactly what they're doing from one time to the next either.
0: I know. You know, sometimes I feel like deer are kind of like caribou. They just don't know where they're going until they get there. That kind yeah, of exactly. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yep. you know, in all your endeavors and all your hunts and everything, have you, have if you think back, do you, have, do you remember a deer or a buck that has been like so consistent that it's like, yep, I know he's going to be here at this time. Like, do you remember a time like that?
1: Man, I'd have to, I'd have to think about, it. yeah, I mean, there's, there's been, there's definitely been some over the years, especially out West. I mean, that's where I really like the pattern on, you know, as far as whitetail goes, it, it seems like they're, those deer out there, they, they're just slaves of their stomach, man. And there's oh, so yeah. much more, there's, there's, there's so much more patternable out there because they're literally, they've got one food source and they're, they're, they're on that food source every single day of their life. Yeah. And, uh, out there, it just seems like it's, a, it's just a matter of, of uh you know making sure that you're patient enough to where you don't push the envelope and you wait until things are right and usually if you do you know you'll you'll capitalize on it
0: that's key too i mean patience if you don't have patience it's that can be a detriment to what you're doing so i guess oh, like man. like in your scenario how do you stay patient like what are some things that you have to do to be like man i just cannot go in right now um it's, even though i want I think to so just, bad uh,
1: I, I honestly, man, I think it's just the fact of, of looking back over the years and seeing all the mistakes that you've made. And, and, and you know, finally, at some point in your career, you, you realize that, hey, you know, look, I, you know, I've outgrown this. I've outgrown this phase <laughs> of my life. I'm not going to I'm not going to run in there as bad as I want to when I know it's not right. Because I know if I wait a day or two, things are going to get right. Conditions are going to get right. and I know the odds are going to be in my favor then because it, it is truly incredible how you can put the odds in your favor, if you do have patience, you know, and and what I'm, what I mean by that is, is it so many times it's, it's, it would be so easy and so tempting, you know, whenever you see a deer doing a particular thing and he's in a good spot, but the the conditions aren't right, you know, you gotta, you gotta have some self-discipline not to run in there because it's, you know, it's tough, man. I mean, that, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a tough game there, but you know, like I said, after years upon years of hunting them and, and, you know, looking back at your mistakes and then looking back at the outcomes of those hunts, whenever you done that versus whenever you waited until things got right, you know, then you can kind of start seeing, okay, it, it makes way more sense to give it another day or two until things get right. And then the odds are going to be incredibly higher. Yep. Are so you... I think it's just a matter of just doing that over, you know, over the years and kind of learning, um, yeah. what what works and what doesn't
0: evolving too like you said I mean when I was 25 years old I just ran through the woods like rampant you know really just kind of but now being 34 and a little more mature and and, you know I took up basket weaving too so that kind of takes up a lot of my time (laughs) (laughs) no I didn't
1: really
0: does well in the patience too. yeah no it's it it you do grow though you are right you grow you mature a little bit more and it's more like I got to make and a I better think you decision. You slow down.
1: You slow down. I I feel like the for older, sure the older you get, you know, you kind of you you kind of start making more meticulous moves than just you know just sporadic moves. For and sure. And I think I think when it comes to big deer, I mean, I think that the more strategic uh, moves that you can make and the less sporadic ones that you can make, the, the higher your success is going to go.
0: Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Now. When you have, let's say you have a deer pinpointed, you got a buck that you've been chasing all year, you got one pinpointed, he sh- he's daylighting. Are you, like if you know where he's betting, let's say you have a good idea where he's betting, are you trying to get in as tight as possible? Or are you still kind of like holding back a little bit?
1: I think it just kind of depends on, uh, it depends on what time of year it is and it depends on you know what I'm seeing him doing. if he's hitting a particular food source, I'm not, I'm not worried about trying to push in on him because at the end of the day, you know, the, it's cool and all to get as close as you can get to him, but you got to remember that whenever you do that, that's a very, very risky move because at the end of the day, we don't ever know a hundred percent where he's bedded unless we physically laid eyes on him, laying his head down, you know, and and a lot of times I've seen, and, and I've been guilty of this too, is like, you think you think you know where he's bedded and then you make one wrong move and you make, take one extra step and you blow him out of the country. Yep. So I think that if you can get, you know, I, I like hunting them on food sources somewhere that they're already naturally coming to, yep. uh, without having to push the envelope. That's, that's, that's where I think that you're going to, you know, you're going to be the most successful and you're going to be the, le- you know, the least amount intrusive to that deer. And you're going to get more, you're going to get more chances at him because you're, you know, you're hunting him on, on his terms, basically rather than yours.
0: For sure. Now going to food sources, now that you have the Raven and you're basically, you're, you're designing this whole thing. What is like the perfect size food source that you like to make? You know, if it's a food plot, like how big is it? Is it a certain shape? Like I know it, it depends on the lay of the land and everything, but like in a perfect world, what are you trying to do with your food sources?
1: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, if you look across the map on, on what we've done, I think the majority, we're probably, we're probably in that acre and a half or so is okay. the average. Um, but we've got, you know, we've got some little micro plots that might only be a quarter to half acre. And then we've got, you know, three or four bigger sources that are four to five acres. So I think it's a good, you know, I think it's good to have a good mix because, you know, what you got to think about too is what you're going to be putting into those plots. Um you know for us our our deer density is pretty high here so i wanted to have you know three or four bigger plots that if we wanted to go in there and drill beans in the spring and summer there's going to be enough you know acreage there to be able to sustain you know the the amount of deer that we have yep so um but as far as you know as far as what is ideal to hunt over i like those you know those plots that's closer to an acre in size
0: yeah yeah and, and
1: mostly it... go ahead go ahead
0: Well, what I was going to say is like, you know, having those, those plots that are an acre or so a half acre, I like to be able to shoot the whole plot if you can, you know, if something comes in there, I like to be able to, you know, if it's a 40 yard shot or so, I'd like to be able to make that. So that's kind of where my head's at. And that's, that's why I asked you, I didn't know if like, if it was a certain, you know, shape that you wanted, like a little hourglass or like a bottleneck or something, are you trying to manipulate them? Or, you know, I, I like to be able to shoot as much as I can.
1: Yeah. And we normally always, we, we kind of can try to construct them to where they've either got a pinch in them or a lot of, a lot of the ones that we done, we actually use those water holes as, as the pinch. So, okay. um, you know, a lot of ours would almost be kind of uh, boomerang shape with a, or horseshoe shape with the, you know, the pond right in the, right in the, you know, the bottom of the, of the horseshoe. Yep. So, um, you know, if a deer comes through there, I mean, basically he's within 40 yards. If he, if he comes through the plot there from, one side to the other of of being pinched by that pond
0: yeah you know with with making water holes like that and hunting over water holes when you put those (laughs) in did you see like a huge shift or a huge difference in like the deer movement and the daylight
1: sightings um you know honestly i didn't really have anything to compare it with there because we we had never been on that place before so as soon as we got it, we started constructing water holes. So I really didn't have a before and after comparison on that particular place.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I yep. was just curious because, you know, it's it's nice to have food. I'm not, sorry, not food, water. Water is great to have. And just to have like, you know, I've put a couple 50-gallon drums like cut in half, like right in the ground. And, and I get deer yep. drinking out of them all the time here in daylight. I just haven't seen like a you know, it's more of like, they're coming to the food source and then they're just going to take a drink when they're at the food source. It's not like they're coming there right for the water. So I was just curious.
1: Yeah. And they're good. They're man. They're super good too. A lot, a lot of, uh, something too, that, that people don't think about is as far as on the turkey side of things. But that's, that's one reason too, that we put so many in and scattered them throughout the farm is because, you know, especially, you know, when those turkeys are nesting, they, they got to have water. And, And a lot of times those hens won't nest um, unless you know they can be within four or five hundred yards of a of a water source. So really, I didn't know that, that. Yeah, that's that's something else too. That you know, one reason why we wanted to have as many as we as we've had, and hopefully it's going to improve our turkeys as well.
0: Now, did you ever have you know going into making food so- or I keep saying food, water. <laughs> going into making <laughs> water sources, did you ever have like the fear of man? If I put more water in, that might create more ehd with the midge you know how they like to be around water that little bug and all that like did you ever have that fear
1: well i mean as far as as far as our property goes um we're pretty rocky we're pretty we got a pretty rocky base okay so a lot of times and and we're we're up a little bit higher elevation more more times where you have you know the issues with the ehd is the is the more you know mud kind of the mud bottom streams and, and tributaries and stuff like that, this particular part of the country, we're almost all rock bottom and all of our streams and stuff. So we'll, we'll have, you know, a touch of EHD here and there, but we don't, we don't, we don't get affected as much as what they do in like Northern Missouri and Southern Iowa and that area.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. I was just curious, like our <coughs> Illinois farm. Um, it's a lot of the same of what the Raven is. It's it's a blank slate that uh, Casey and Casey and I are doing a lot of improvements on, and it's it's really cool to see that. But we were talking about, you know, we had a little bit of fear with, you know, maybe present presenting the opportunity for more EHD to possibly come. We didn't want to do that. Um, there are some water sources on the farm, but it's just one of those things that was in the back of the head that I was like, man we got to tread lightly there maybe. So I just want to get your thoughts on it too.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that a lot of people overlook that soil type in that, um, you know, when you're talking about EHD and those midge flies, but in my experience, you know, that's, that's the, there's a huge difference there in what you see EHD wise, depending on, you know, what kind of soil type you have and, 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 and the amount of rock that you have.
0: Yep. I gotcha. So going back to food what did you have a certain ratio that you wanted food per you know yada yada, whatever that might be? or and how did you figure out how much food you wanted to put in?
1: Man, it's always it, it's it's another one of them situations to where it's not completely cut and dried, you know it's just it's kind of a I don't know, I guess it's kind of a learning curve to a certain extent because you obviously want to have enough food to last you throughout the year to be able to hold deer you know, on your property, that's got to be the, you know, that's the ultimate goal. Nice. And then when you start thinking about hunting these food sources, you know, I, I try to, you know, my biggest thing is, is I don't want to have, I don't want to have two or three of the same kind of food, food plots in the same area. And And that being said, the reason for that, I don't want to spread a particular deer and give him multiple options at certain times of the year, because that's only going to make him harder to hunt, yep. if that makes sense, yep. you know, so. Whenever I really look at my farm, I try to break it down into kind of quadrants, and I want to have something for each particular time of the year in that quadrant. But I don't want to have multiple food sources of the same thing.
0: Gotcha. That makes total sense, though, too, because it's funny. It, what makes deer so fascinating to me is their body tells them what they need at that moment.
1: You right. know what I mean? Yeah, and exactly. Like if I, you know, if I'm if I'm looking at the northeast, if I'm looking at the northeast quadrant of our farm. And it's, you know, the 20th of October and I've got a shooter up there that that's, you know, been pretty consistent that I know he's up there and I want to hunt. I don't want to have three different radish plots up there. I want to have one because I want to I want to know that whenever I go to that one, if he's going to come into a radish plot, that's where he's coming. Right. And that time of year, I know that that's probably what he's going to be looking for. So, you know, I kind of I kind of use that to my advantage and you can really you know, you can really narrow him down by doing that.
0: Yeah, if you had a perfect world, what is your favorite plot like type of plot to hunt over? What's in it?
1: Man, I I really you know we uh we plant a lot of big time, and the long range blend is a radish blend that um that I really love. I I, I love the I love the radishes because it, number one, you know, a lot of people too, and, and when people ask me, you know, hey, what what do I need to plant? Well, the first question I ask is when are you, when are you planning on hunting over it? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys just, you know, they just randomly pick something, but they don't really think of of the time of year that they're really, you know, planning on hunting. And that that has such a big, um, role in, in what you plant. So, you know, for me, I love that radish blend because of the majority of what we do in Missouri here is going to be from the 15th of October to the 15th of November. So, you know, that, that window our deer just hammering those those radish blends
0: i got you so what when is typically like the radish i I haven't planted any radishes so how does a radish of like how's the frost affect a radish is it killing right off like or how does that work
1: they they won't withstand they won't withstand cold and, and frost like a like a turnip does okay um and that's why that's why on the radishes you got a shorter window you know the turnips The frost will turn, you know, the leaves into sugar. And later on in the year, they actually get better to where your, you know, your radishes. They'll, they'll, they'll quit. What they'll do is they'll quit eating the leaves part of it. They'll, they'll still, they'll still eat the actual radish part, but Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll slow down on the leaves after the middle part of November.
0: Yep. I gotcha. And you know that makes perfect sense because then you could, like, do you do like, let's say you have a radish plot. Are you putting uh, different types of food in one plot? You know, or is it just a radish plot? Is a radish plot. It, it just
1: kind of depends on the plot. You know, a lot of our bigger ones, we'll split them up and we'll have two or three different things in that particular plot. If it's an acre plot or something like that, usually we're only planting one particular thing.
0: Yep, I got you. I like the fact that you're really breaking down your food sources and only giving them one, not, not necessarily one option. You're giving them multiple options. But like you said, you don't want three different types of radishes up there because how the hell do you know which one to pick?
1: You you don't. And that's the thing is, and, and, you know, a lot of guys overlook that, but you know, the more a mature deer is hard enough to kill. They're, they're hard enough to, they're hard enough to narrow down and kill as it is. Like you, you don't want to give them any more opportunity to outsmart you then you then you have to and the more you can narrow that deer down obviously you know the higher percentage you're going to have in your favor so that's right. that's that's what i'm constantly looking at whenever i'm you know designing farms if i'm designing you know food plots picking out what i'm planting in food plots i mean that's all stuff that that plays such a huge role that a lot of guys overlook
0: it's almost like having a big stand of oaks in a in a big timber setting like what oak tree do you go when that's a when it's a mass crop that year you know exactly it's like you're throwing a dart at the wall and just like i'm
1: gonna pick yeah, this you don't want to spread happens. them out any more than you have to you yeah. know
0: yeah that makes sense now with your with your population problem you said you know you're pretty overpopulated with deer like how are you guys managing your herd
1: Yep. So last year was kind of the learning curve for us because that was last year was the first year on there. So we actually didn't shoot any does on our place last year because we wanted to kind of give it a, a one, you know, one season kind of overall of 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 hunting it kind of, you know, running trail cameras throughout the whole year and just kind of get a good idea of what we had and then be able to make a plan going into this, you know, this second year off of what we saw. So Missouri, where we're at here, is a little bit, makes it a little bit tough to manage your does because like as far as gun wise, we only get one doe tag. Okay. So, but with bow, we can, we can shoot unlimited does with, you know, however many tags you buy. So this year we're, our plan is, is to go in and we'll probably try to, off this particular place, we'll probably try to shoot about 20 does this year. Okay. Just off of kind of what we, you know, what we saw off the trail cameras, what we saw hunting, um. And just that's kind of where we think that we need to to be. And that's you know, that that's a little bit of a sliding scale too. I mean it ain't it's not exact where you you know, it it it's it's it'd be hard to go in there and say, Okay, well, we need to shoot nineteen does. That's the that's exactly the right amount. Right. You know, it, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a, you know, a learning curve on that that side of things too. And I mean we usually try to shoot a little bit for a little bit under where we think we need to be. And then, you know, the next year, if we, if we feel like we didn't shoot enough, then we'll try to go in and and shoot more the next year. Yep. And
0: that's, uh, that's the funny thing with that, with the does and everything. It's, it's, it's kind of a fine line. Like you don't want to go in there and just eradicate them, you know? So it's like, what do you do? Yeah.
1: And you kind of got to manage for what, for what you like too. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, if, if it's your property, um, there, there's no, there's no exact way that you ought to, that you ought to, you know, do it one way or the other. I mean, a lot of guys like to see a lot of deer. If you're into seeing a lot of deer, then obviously you don't want to shoot as many does, right. you know, if you're, if you're if you're to holding more mature deer, then, then you probably need to shoot more does and be good with not seeing as many deer. Yep. So it's kind of, you got, you, you, you got, you, you almost got to write that prescription as far as, uh, you know, to, to your liking, because it's, you know, it's. It's only right to, it's it's only exactly right to the person that believes in that prescription, right? So, um, it, it just it kind of depends on what you're into.
0: So many different philosophies, and that's the thing exactly. too. Like, I like to be able to have deer respond to calls in the in the rut, you know, in the rut phases and everything like that. So when you got a lot of does, there's too much competition. My exactly. family farm here in Michigan, they don't respond to calls very much because the does are just overtaking the bucks. Um so I I like to that's my personal prescription if you want to call it. Um but I I do know there are people out there that when they don't see deer it's boring. You know, they just want to see deer. Then you get the guys that want to see deer but then they want to see big deer also, so it's like you got this fine line of like what do you do?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you get, you know, a lot I've heard a lot of it's like, well, you know we w- we don't want to shoot we don't want to shoot any does because we won't have any we won't have any rut we won't have any rutting activity if we shoot all the does and that couldn't be further from the truth you know what what happens so many times man and we see it we see it here on our properties some of our properties that's you know the density's out of whack um, you have so many does coming in heat at the same time that you you get so many you get so many of your deer locked down that you, you hardly have any kind of rut. Like, there's literally hardly zero movement whenever that lockdown hits because all of your deer are just, they're, they're locked down. Um, yeah. So whenever you, you know, when you cut those doe numbers down to where all of a sudden you have half as many does as what you had and you still have the same amount of bucks, well, now all of a sudden you've got extra bucks out cruising and 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 still rutting, looking, chasing, seeking, you know, you, you get a better rut when that density is, is that dough density is lower.
0: For sure. And my favorite one is I hear is, well, if I shoot does, then that's a lot less buck fawns than I'll have. But what they don't understand is when a doe has a buck fawn, that doe and a high percentage is going to kick that buck away because that's, right. that's how incest gets, yep. you know, you so there's no incest
1: can't be having the inbreeding going on man exactly
0: they're gonna get kicked <laughs> away and then that buck i mean he for sure he could come back but that doe more than likely is gonna make sure hair buck fawn is gone that he yeah, doesn't see her right. you know yep, so right. i'm i'm all for the doe management kill him. you know and it meet in the freezer and it makes things like you said in the rut it it's a harder rut you know yeah you're like,
1: gonna get a more powerful you're gonna get a more powerful rut you're gonna get better better daylight movement better movement in general
0: for sure yeah well hey we're coming up on time here i got a couple more things i want to get into uh, you know i've been watching your stuff on instagram and, and social and everything and i see this little <laughs> cabin that you guys have on there i gotta know about this little cabin like <laughs> tell me about the cabin
1: yeah man so we you know we don't have a half a million dollar lodge like a lot of like a lot of guys do. It's way 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 far from it. We actually have what we call the rat shack, <laughs> oh, and uh, the rat shack consists of about a five hundred square foot slab cabin that was built like in the seventies. Okay, and not only not only is it a is it a rat shack, but it actually is a rat shack. Like it has its own it has its own pack rat that lives in it that we call Splinter so that's kind of where the name the rat shack come from
0: so there's actually a rat that lives there
1: there is a huge ass rat that <laughs> lives in there do yes.
0: you have any plans of getting him out of there
1: <laughs> well you know we, we kind of set out to get him but then we, we kind of felt bad because he's kind of the mascot of the camp so we ain't sure now that we want to get rid of him we might <laughs> just let him let him live his best life in there
0: I love that you named him Splinter that is great <laughs> <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's, it's cool, man. It's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I always, I always kind of thought that I'd want this big extravagant lodge, but man, when you sit around a campfire right there in that, in that setting, I mean, it, it truly is, man. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's like we grew up, all of us grew up in and,
0: um,
1: as far as going to deer camp and, and stuff like that. I mean, it, it still has that feel. So it's it's pretty cool, man. Yeah,
0: I love that feel. I grew up, you know, in Michigan here. We've got a deer camp here on our, our family farm. It's, it's I love that atmosphere, you know. It, yeah,
1: it, that's what it's all about. And that's kind of what we want to show, you know. I mean, as far as what with what we're doing with the Raven Project is, you know, we want kind of half of that project to be educational, you know, around what we're doing with the management side of things and, you know, the food plot and the land and everything else. But the other half of that, is you know we we want to show what we you know what we do on a day-to-day basis as far as you know hanging out in deer camp and 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 just all the camaraderie and the fun that goes along with that i mean that's at the end of the day that's who we are that's how we grew up and and that's what we want to be able to portray
0: that's awesome man so kind of give everybody like when they can start seeing this stuff unfold on digital like where to find it and when things are going to start coming out
1: Yep. So I, we're going to kick off on Waypoint TV, and that'll be, um, I believe, August the second will be the first episode. And then once we start unfolding the episodes, we'll we'll have, you know, either a premiere episode or a short episode coming every couple weeks. Um, it'll be on Waypoint. It'll be on Realtree three sixty five M O T V uh, YouTube. It'll be on several different platforms.
0: Nice man. So, and you guys for headhunters are going to be on Outdoor Channel like normal, right? Yep.
1: Yeah, we'll continue on Outdoor Channel with Headhunters. Cool, man. Well, dude,
0: I appreciate you coming on and doing this. So much information. There's more questions I have for you, but we might have to do a part two on this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, no problem. I enjoyed it, and I really appreciate you guys having me. It's been awesome.
0: Thank you very much, man. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Yes, sir. Bye-bye.
0: All right. There you have it. Thank you very much, Randy, for coming on and doing this podcast. It is greatly appreciated. Also going to remind everybody, thank you for the support, but go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and leave a written review. That'd be greatly appreciated. And don't forget, we'll be right here next week on the Fall Podcast. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be
1: one of the greatest. Oh. <laughs> Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.